few years ago, I went into a um, doctor's office. It was actually a dentist's office. And before they did, a, did my checkup, before they took a look inside my mouth, they did what every good dentist should do. They took my blood pressure. I don't know if your dentist takes your blood pressure. But in the Army, the Army dentists, they take your blood pressure. And um, that was this, was, this was a few years ago. It was about 15, almost, well, 14 years ago or so. And um, I got my blood pressure taken, and, and the uh, technician there said, your blood pressure is a little bit high. I'm like, what? So, of course, I got stressed out hearing that. <laughs> and I said, well, let me take it again. It was higher. Um, and I, the following week, I went through a blood pressure uh, test. You know, every morning I woke up and I, I went down to the clinic and I had my blood pressure checked and they, they took, take, took a look at it. I, I went home with a brochure on that first day and, you know, do you have high blood pressure? Here's what you need to do. Here's how you, what you need to avoid. And I realized that there's a lot of stress in my life. For some reason, being a young soldier, having a family and children, and and um, and you know, just trying to live my life was stressful for me. I I don't understand that. But I was compounding it by um, lack of exercise. Believe it or not, lack of exercise as an army soldier, and the consumption of high levels of caffeine. <laughs> I'm not judging anyone drinking caffeinated beverages this morning. I'm, I was sipping on one earlier too, so I'm, that's okay. But um, my my uh, my lifestyle habits were to the point of three or four cans of Coke every night. It was just a habit I got into. I got thirsty. I drank Coke of all things, and I was drinking that every night. And then I was going to bed and waking up and you know hard charging through life thinking that none of this was going to affect me. And uh, it was a wake-up call. A wake-up call. Um, look, if you don't turn from this, something bad's going to happen. Your heart is in danger if you don't make this change. I listened to the advice. I made some changes in my life. I've backslidden a bit. And by God's grace, I have gotten my feet back under me at different times in my life, and I'm still working on it now. Um, my doctor right now wants me to change some nutrition habits because he's concerned about my cholesterol. Mm. If it's not one thing, it's another. But it's all about, all of those things that I've dealt with um, are affecting my heart. They're causing problems. There's a, there's, a, there's a health condition there that if I'm not aware of, will lead to my death. Well, so each of us, let me, get it, let me, let me bring it in for us. Each of us have a condition. We, each of us have a heart condition. Each of us, whether you are young or old, and, and it doesn't matter how, it doesn't, it, it's not about age. It's not about your physical lifestyle. It's not about your um, heritage. It's not hereditary. It's not about your nationality or anything else like that. It's a human condition. And it's serious. In fact, it's a death sentence. It's spiritual, not physical. It's spiritual, not just emotional. Or mental. It's a spiritual condition. It's hard hearts. 
hard hearts. And if we're not careful, death is the outcome. Death will be the result of our hard hearts. Is there a cure? I hope some of you are nodding, thinking, yeah, I think, yeah, I think there's a cure. Maybe you've read ahead a little bit. Spoiler alert, there is a cure for this condition of hard hearts. And that's what we're going to kind of look at today and explore that from this passage in the Gospel of Mark. So, if you um, haven't already found it, because it's up on the screen, Mark chapter 6, beginning at verse 45, is what we're going to look at today. Um, let me invite you, if you're able and you, would, and you want to stand with me, um, to do so. Stand as I, I read this passage of Scripture. Mark chapter 6, um, beginning at verse 45. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Uh, Father, as we look at this passage uh, in our time this morning, God, uh, speak to us. Reveal to us uh, the truth that we need to hear. Help us to see the glory of Jesus in this passage, and help us to see how our lives connect to with Jesus and what it is that we need to do to respond in faith to you, to live the way you would have us to live, to, to repent or to change anything that, God, you're pointing out to us today. Help us to do that by faith and trust in you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, as always, when we're looking at a passage of Scripture, especially, um, I, well, I, any passage of Scripture. You want to know, well, what came before it? It, it? Here's this passage, and we're just kind of taking this totally out of context. But you have to think, you have to think, um, uh, think like you would if you were watching a television series, you know? It, when you, back in the day, when you watched the, the television show Lost, I don't know if any of you ever watched that, but at the beginning of every, every episode was previously on Lost. And then there was all those scenes. You, got, you need to know what was happening, what was going on going on with these characters? What was the situation they were in? Otherwise, you jump in the middle of, you don't know what's going on. This is before binge watching, right? Okay, before, before you could just watch the whole season in a weekend, uh, or the whole series in a weekend. But you got to think, think through the context. What is going on? What was happening in this story? Why, why is Jesus saying, why does it start off with, immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side? What was going on? What's the setting? 
What's the situation? So think back to last week. We looked at this, the the previous passage. We looked at Jesus feeding 5,000 people, 5,000 men, and their women and children with them. And so this miracle had just taken place. The, The people had been out in the wilderness in a desolate place. They had sought Jesus out there. They had basically um, crashed Jesus and His disciples' retreat, right? And so there they are, um, being fed and sustained in the wilderness with this bread and this fish. And remember that it ended, that story ended, verse 44. If you look at it, it says, those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Now, the other, the other gospel accounts also refer to 5,000 men. Mark is good, good to put that right at the end of this story, showing us that this was a group of... This was an ordered group of men who, if Jesus wasn't careful, would, say, would rise up and say, Hey, we've got about a brigade-sized group of men here, maybe a couple of them. We, we've got the makings of a fine army. If this guy, Jesus, who has this ability and this power, were to be our king, ha, we could overthrow those Roman soldiers in the next town. We could take that fortress. We could, we could do something here. We got this, Jesus. Right? We, we looked at that a little bit. Jesus wouldn't do that though. That's, that's not what He was there for. He was not there to be a military leader. He was not the Messiah that they thought they were looking for. So, suddenly the, the, the scene shifts here to what we're looking at today. And Jesus says, or, the, or Mark says, immediately, that's that urgent kind of, um, that urgent phrase that, that Mark includes a lot in his gospel. He says, He made His disciples go, get into the boat. Um, it's hard to see the uh, power of a, of a word like, He made His disciples get into the boat. Uh, the, the power behind that is, He ordered them. He commanded them. He insisted. He's, I don't know exactly how it went. I don't know if he pushed them. I don't know if he kicked them. I don't know, I don't know what he did. I don't know what words he used. Maybe he used the knife hand um, to command them to go into the boats and get out of here. But they did. There's an urgency in that. Jesus is, doesn't want His disciples to get caught up in that because they could just as easily go, the crowds want you to be king. Let's do this. Jesus says, nope, let's stop. Put a, put a stop to that. You guys get out of here. I'm going to dismiss the crowd. I'm going to disperse them before a, a rebellion breaks out. Remember, remember that John had said, the Gospel of John had said, that they wanted to make him king by force. Okay, that's the context going on here. So Jesus dismisses the crowd, and what does he do? He goes by himself. The disciples leave, and the disciples are out on the sea in a boat. Jesus, though, goes up on a mountain to pray. He goes alone. He gets away with God. And what's He doing? Why does He go out in, up into a mountain? Why is he, is he leaving His disciples in this moment to pray? Why not go with them? It's a, such a teachable moment, isn't it? You know, 
disciples, I'm not going to be king. See, these 5,000 here, they want, me, they want to be an army. They want me to lead them. I'm not doing it. He doesn't get into that. He leaves them and he goes up on a mountain to pray. What's he doing? Well, three times in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus goes away to pray. We saw that first way back in Mark chapter 1 where after his first day of ministry with the, the, the first disciples he called, the crowds were just going crazy. They were, they were coming from everywhere. They thought, this guy is casting out demons and speaking with authority and doing all of this stuff. And Jesus goes away to pray. And the disciples go looking for him. Remember? Where are you, Jesus? Everybody's looking for you. we got stuff to do. This is awesome. I mean, this is, this is about to blow up. We launched this church and now everyone's coming. And, you know, we need you here. And he's like, no, I've got to be with my father and I've got to go to the other villages because that's what I was sent to do, to preach. He goes away by himself to pray in Mark chapter 1, again here in Mark chapter 6. And then we will see later on in Mark chapter 14, he goes by himself to pray. And every time, every time he gets by himself to pray in the Gospel of Mark, he's getting away from the crazy. He's getting away from the, the hubbub. He's getting away from the people who would, who would invite him to be something that he is not supposed to be. He's getting away so that he can be an obedient son to the Father. He is actually fighting the same battle that he began fighting in Mark chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, when he was in the wilderness being tempted by Satan. And Satan is trying to say, You can do this. You can do this on your own. You can turn bread or, or stones into bread. You can jump off a uh, the, the, the top of the temple and not be hurt. You can worship me and I'll give you all of the kingdoms in a, in, in a, a snap of the fingers. And that's it. That's all there is to it. No cross. No suffering. No, no difficulty. You can have it all. And Jesus, in resisting Satan and resisting His work, then continues to do it now. He won't be caught up in this. And so, he resists, and the disciples who are on their own are struggling. It's an interesting, uh, if you observe, if you read this, if you read this passage, and you, th- and you think of all of the times the disciples were having difficulty. The disciples were confused about something. They were uh, what we call in the counseling world, they were stuck. Every time they're stuck, what was going on? Well, the first time the disciples were stuck was back in Mark chapter 4. Where again, similar situation. They're on, they're in a boat, they're in the sea, and it's not just a strong wind, it's not just a normal event, it's it's all coming down on them, and, and the boat is filling with water, and they're about to be overturned, and they're struggling and they're straining. And what what was going on there? Jesus was asleep on a cushion in that passage. He was sleeping in the boat. He wasn't worried about the wind and the waves, but they were. And for all they, for, for all they knew, that was how it was going to be. Jesus, don't you care that we're drowning? We are utterly alone. Later on, we'll look at a passage in 
in Mark chapter 9 where most of the disciples were alone and they were stuck there. They were dealing with a problem that they didn't know how to handle. They couldn't handle. And when Jesus shows up on the scene and goes, well, what's been going on, guys? They say, we tried to fix this problem, but we couldn't do it. It didn't work. We were stuck. And here again, the disciples making headway painfully. The wind was against them. It's in the middle of the night. They were alone. It was late. They were tired. Remember? Their retreat got interrupted. They had been well fed. In fact, they had baskets of food with them. Right? Each one of them had a satchel full of food for the next day. I mean, they had all of the resources that they needed, but they were alone and Jesus wasn't with them and they're struggling and they're fighting this, this storm and, and it's the fourth watch of the night, which means it was between about 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. The Romans divided up the night once the sun went down into about four watches. And so this is the early morning. This is the point at which it's darkest. It's always darkest before dawn, right? That's what they say. And... There they are, struggling. It reminds me, it reminds me of what, of what we deal with on a regular basis. When you are alone, when it is late, when you are tired and hungry, isn't that when temptation strikes? Isn't that when it's difficult? Isn't that when we struggle? And we need to be reminded to, if you're in Christ, you're not alone. And that He is with you. And so what does, he, what does Jesus do? He sees them. He sees them and He comes to them. He goes to them. He doesn't just let them be. He doesn't just let them be. But notice how, I mean, we, looked, we read this whole passage earlier. The disciples are struggling. They're trying with all their might, with all of their human effort to resist this wind. To get through the chaos of this sea. And when it's all wrapped up and the story is, comes to a close, I mean, we, we get the punchline by Mark. Only Mark includes that phrase. They did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Many of the other gospel writers who wrote about the story mention that. They're hard hearts. It's these crises, though. It's the difficult circumstances in life that reveal what's really there. It's, they, they say that crisis is revealed, or excuse me, crisis reveals a person's character. Right? Well, it also indicates a person's faith. In fact, I would argue, I'd argue this, that there's no faith unless it's demonstrated in these moments of distress, in these moments of difficulty. Faith really isn't faith until you have to exercise it. We can say all we want. Oh, I believe that Jesus can do this. Oh, I trust in Him. And we can sing these songs. But then in the midst of our life circumstances, we choose another path. We choose another way. We don't put our faith in Him. We, we demonstrate a lack of faith in those moments. 
how will you trust God in the moments you're going through right now? That's what this whole story comes to. That's, that's, the, that's what the whole story is pointing to. So before we get to where Jesus appears and He speaks to them and, and He talks to them and, and He solves this situation, He sustains them in their distress. Before we see them do that, it's important to reflect on that right now, I think. What are you going through? What distress, what crisis are you going through? And what does it look like to have faith in God? What does it look like to trust Him in that situation right now? I hear, I hear about crises all the time. Some of that is happening in your lives and in other people who reach out to me. I hear about it all the time. And I think, will we trust God in that? And my, and my heart goes out to people when they tell me, this is what I'm dealing with, this is what I'm battling. And, and there, are no, there are never any easy answers. It's not, and I'm not trying to give you guys an easy answer either. Say, just trust God. It'll all work out. Because actually there's some things that we need to do to apply the medicine that He gives us. Remember, if your doctor says you've got high blood pressure, you're going to make some changes. It's not enough to believe what He says. It's not enough to believe that He knows what He's talking about or she knows what she's talking about. You've got to take the medicine. You've got to make changes in your life. You've got to do the things that you need to do so that you can live. Will you trust God in the situation that you're in? Do you know this God? Let's explore this God that we see here. Look at what He does. Jesus, in verse 48, came to them in the fourth watch of the night. And what is He doing? Walking on the sea. What is going on here? Have you heard this story before? Yes, Jesus walks on the water. Yes, He walks... Has that story gotten so familiar to you that you don't grasp the significance? Are you without understanding? Are your hearts hardened too? I mean, we could be just like the disciples. Jesus has done all of this. He walked on the water. What does that mean to us? What does that mean for them? Twice that phrase is mentioned in verse 48 and again in verse 49 when it says they saw Him walking on the sea. Mark doesn't want us to miss this. This is important. What does this mean? Well, back in Job, all of our favorite books of the Bible, back in Job chapter 9, verse 8, check this out. Job is talking about God, who alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea. And then the prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 16, said this about God. Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters. That way is a road, a path to walk on. This is God. The Old Testament's full of this. There are several other passages that show that God is the one who moves on the waters. He is able to pass through them, over them. And that's what we see Jesus doing. We see Him walking on the sea, doing something that only God can do. 
And it says that He meant to pass by them in verse 48. And many people have read that and have been troubled by that and think, why would he, what do you mean He meant to pass by them? That He was going to walk by them, do, 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 hey you guys, how you doing? Wave at them and then just keep on going across the lake? Is that what He's doing? And he was waiting for them to go, hey Jesus, help us out. Okay, cool. Just testing you to see if you would cry out to Maybe. There might be some of that. Maybe he was he, he did want them to cry out to them to him, and so that he could respond to their cry. Oh, I think he I think he intended that. But we miss something else about this phrase. If that's all we see, if all we see is we're trying to figure out from a human perspective what Jesus was trying to do, because. Exodus chapter 33, when Moses comes to God, when he's standing before God, and he says, Lord, show me your glory. And here's what, here's part of how, how God responded. But he said, You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock and... While my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. When God passes by, He intends to reveal His glory, to reveal who He is, to reveal that He is awesome, that He is powerful, that He knows and He sees you. Moses is like, well, if you would just show me your glory, then I would know, I'd have some assurance that things are going to work out. What are we going to do here? You sent me out into this wilderness to lead these people who are rebellious. We just got out. We just crossed through the Red Sea and we just got water from the rocks. And immediately after that, the very next day, they're complaining and grumbling. They want to stone me. They want to go back to Egypt. Show me some sign that you are good enough, great enough, and awesome enough to keep going. And that's what God does. He passes by to show His glory. And then in 1 Kings chapter 19, and I wish I had time to look at this entire passage, but just look at this one verse. This is God speaking to Elijah. And He said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. Ah, another mountain? The Lord speaking to a prophet? And behold, it says, The Lord passed by. And a great strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And it goes on. There was a fire, but the Lord was not in a fire. And then there was a wind, a breath. And the Lord was in the breath and the wind and revealed Himself to Elijah and comforted him and assured him, No, I've got my eye on you, Elijah. You may be in distress, but I have not abandoned you. I have not forsaken you. What is Jesus trying to do in this passage? Trying to psych out His disciples? You know, do-do-do, I'm about to pass by you. Well, He was showing them something. 
He was showing them His glory, His greatness. Do you see me walking on the, on the sea? Do you see me trampling upon the waters? Do you see that I have made a path, a highway on this, on this ocean, on this lake? Only God can do that. Only God can walk on the water. Only God can tread upon the waves. Only God can pass by in that way to show that He is glorious, that He is awesome. And that is what Jesus is doing for His disciples. Oh, you're in distress. You're going through ordinary circumstances. This isn't even a big storm like the last one. This is a strong wind. And yes, I know you're tired. Yes, I know it's late. I know you feel alone and and you may feel frightened at my presence. Oh no, a ghost. That's not normal. But I am here. This is God in your midst. I hear you. And so they do cry out. They, they are terrified. And yes, it says they, they thought it was a ghost. This, is, this word only appears in this story in Mark and in the parallel story in Matthew. Only in those two Gospels that word is used. A ghost, it's an apparition. It's so rare in the Bible. And that should, should let us know that it was a rare thing to see or think you're seeing ghosts in ancient times. These, these guys weren't as superstitious as you uh, have been led to believe by a lot of people. They knew this was not normal. What they were seeing was not normal. What else could it be? Are we hallucinating? They're rubbing their eyes wondering, what is going on here? It looks like it might be Jesus, but it can't be because He's a man. And people don't Men don't walk on water. So they're frightened and they cry out. And that crying out is a cry of alarm, of, of, of help. It's all over the Bible. Help, help me. What's going on here? So what does Jesus do? He speaks to them. Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. Take heart. Be of courage. Do not be afraid. Fear not. If you've read a little bit of the Bible, you've heard that. You've heard that phrase. Because the theme of the Bible is trust me. I am God. You can trust me. It's all over. Here's, here's a passage again in Isaiah chapter 43. We looked at a verse earlier. But at the beginning of that chapter, Isaiah 43 verses 1 to 2. This is what he says, and we'll get that up there in a second. It's somewhere, it's somewhere up there. 43 verses 1 to 2. Now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Let me keep going. Keep going with this. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. God there 
in Isaiah is comforting his people. Fear not. Don't be afraid. Don't be troubled. Don't be discouraged. Take heart. He said that to Joshua. Do not be frightened or dismayed. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And he said that to his people at a time where they needed to hear, this is, our lives are a mess. We are in distress. And God is speaking to them saying, no, I'm here. I will never leave you. I will be there for you. I am here. I am. And that's what Jesus says. Once a little bit troubled, my heart's a little bit troubled, that most of our English translations translate this little phrase as, it is I. As if he's just saying, hey, uh, 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 it's me, it's me. It's Jesus. You know, I'm not a ghost. I'm not some weird thing that you're seeing. It's really me. It's really Jesus. Because behind those words are these two Greek words. Ego, me. Ego, me. I am. They're all over in the Gospels on Jesus' lips. When He says, I am the bread of life. I am the door for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. Before Abraham was, I am. All over, everywhere, he's on his lips, he's saying, I am. And why is that important? A couple of Greek words. Because in the Old Testament, those Greek words, the, the Old Testament, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, those were the two words. Those were the two words that translated, I am. Exodus 3.14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And He said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. That's Moses at the burning bush and a holy place with his sandals removed, bowing down before God's presence and God is revealing to him His name. And saying, this is me. I am who I am. I am is sending you to them. Tell them that. So Jesus comes walking on the sea. Meaning to pass by, to show His glory to His disciples and speaking the words that only God can speak, the only words that God can, give, can speak to give comfort to His people. Take heart. Don't be discouraged. In fact, be encouraged. And do not fear. I am. What is Jesus doing? What does Mark want us to see in this? Jesus is none other than the I Am. Have you got it by now? Are you still without understanding? Are your hearts still hardened? We've been looking at this. Jesus is the I Am. He's the one who has authority to teach. He has authority to cast out demons. He heals many people. A sickness isn't a problem to Him. Death is not a problem to Him. He brings them back to life. Jesus does what only God can do. And here He is doing what only God can do. Treading upon the sea, passing by in His glory, speaking words of comfort and assuring them that the I Am is with you. 
But here's what he does. Verse 51, And he got into the boat with them. I don't know if there's a more powerful phrase in this passage than that to me this week as I was reading it and pondering it and studying it. Because Jesus did not simply calm their storm. He did not simply speak words of comfort from a distance. He got into the boat with them. He made His home with them. He is presence with them. He said, now you have me. Yes, His Word and His presence is powerful. Notice that in all of this trial, in all of this distress, none, uh, this revelation of who Jesus is never would have happened if they, if they had not gone through that together. We should take heart when we go through trials, when we go through distress, when we go through struggles. If you're going through struggles, don't be surprised. Because in this world, we're going to have tribulation. That's what, that's been promised to us. It's a normal part of life. As ordinary as, as, as rowing across the Sea of Galilee for the disciples. Sometimes things just don't go your way. Sometimes the wind picks up and we strain against the oars. But don't harden your heart to Jesus in those moments. He has stepped into the boat. Here's, so here's really what hap- has happened. God Himself, he's, he's looked at us. He's looked at our struggles. He's looked at our problems. And, and He's seen how hopelessly we have tried to, to remake everything in creation to be something to save us from, from worshiping the sun and the moon and the stars from worshiping trees and hills and, and water uh, to, to taking good things that He has given us, healthy relationships and, and our um, emotional resources and, and who we are uh, sexually or, or whatever it might be and turning all of those things into something that we think is going to fulfill us and save us. He has looked at us. And He's looked at us with our anger and our hatred and our violence and our racism. And He's seen how pathetic and how futile and fruitless our attempts at solving all those problems are. He has looked at them and He looked at them and He, and he said, you think that you're going to solve these through discovery or innovation or education or political systems. He's looked at our false notion that we can progress Beyond our past. What has happened in the past is in the past and we're getting better all the time. Everything is getting better and we're going to achieve peace and we're going to take care of this problem and that problem and and we can do this because we are humans and we're great. And we can build this tower. He has looked at us and He's seen us with our fears and our doubts our anxieties, our stresses, our confusions, our depressions. He has looked at us and He's seen us with our sicknesses, our disease, our disorders, our paralysis. He's looked at us and He's seen us straining at the oars. 
And he was not content just to point it out from a distance. You should not be like this. You should not live like this. You should trust. You should have faith. What's your problem? But he came walking over the chaos. He intended to pass by so we could see His glory. But not only that, but to, to, to step into the boat with us. To show us who He is. To give not just a, a, a word of encouragement, but to give us Himself. He came, the great I Am, to be with us. John says in John chapter 1, verse 14, We have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Just prior to that, prior to that phrase, He said that He dwelt with us. He made His home with us. That's what the Word has done. He has made His home with us. He has gotten into the boat with us. So the question for us is the, is the challenge the disciples were facing. There He was, the great I Am, in the boat with them. Did they understand? They didn't understand about the loaves. They didn't understand that it's, it's the great I Am, the one who gives manna in the wilderness who's with them. They, their hearts, says, were hardened. What can we do? We have a condition, a heart condition. It's hard hearts. And, 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 and stepping out in faith or, or responding in faith to Jesus at one point in your life, saying, I believe in Jesus, I trust Him, forgive me of my sins, Make me a new creation. Be Lord of my life. I want to trust you. I want to serve you. I want to follow you. I want to be a Christian. Is one thing. But our hearts are easily can easily be hardened. Like, a, like the Play-Doh that gets left out overnight. And you, you're like, kids, why do you keep leaving that out? It's, it gets hard. And it's hard to bring it back. We need a miracle that only Jesus can do. He is our cure. But here's, here's the medicine. Here's the, here is the, the prescription. Here's what He's asking. Number one, get in the boat. Get in the boat. If you have not listened to His voice, if you have not taken that first step, to be where Jesus wants you to be. You will not see Him. You will not have His presence with you. You will not have assurance. What does get in the boat mean? Faith. Start out by... You, you, have, to, you have to put your faith in Him. You have to repent of your sins. You have to turn your life over to Him. You are the Lord. You are God. Only you can do this thing. For some of us, it may mean get back in the boat because we have ignored Him for a while 
We have disobeyed. There's, a, there's something gnawing at us. There's, there's an area in our life that remains unrepented of. Get in the boat. Number two, cry out for help. Cry out to Him. So here's, here's the challenge of that. Many of us think that I don't know enough good prayers. I, I don't know enough about this. To, I can't fix my problem. It, it, Jesus is not limited by our inadequacy. Our cries of help don't even have to be well orchestrated. They don't have to be thought out. They don't have to have all the right words. We simply just express what's in our heart to God. I need you. Sometimes it's just that in the words of songs that we sing. I need you, I need you, I need you now. Cry out to Him. And three, remember your history or your past. Remember what He's done. If you have followed Jesus, He has worked. He has done work. He has done mighty things. The disciples, they didn't understand about the loaves. Jesus, like God has been doing all along in Scripture, saying, don't you know I'm the one who did this for you? And I'm here in your presence? If I'm the one who did that in the past, what makes you think I'm going to change and not look out for you and not care for you and not have uh, your best in mind for you? We can easily doubt that when things are difficult. But remember your past with Jesus. Remember where He has brought you. Remember where He has helped you. Reflect on those things. Celebrate anniversaries. Celebrate milestones. Do those things. Share the testimonies. Don't hold back. Share them. Because other people may need to hear of what God is doing in your life. And be encouraged to trust Him in their present as well. And then finally, trust Jesus. He is the only one, the only one who is able to sustain us in our distress. He is the only one who is able to sustain us. And no matter what you're going through, what, what would that look like for you? I want you to think about that. I really want you to. I really want us to think about what's going on in our life. What would trusting Jesus look like in my family situation, in my financial situation, in my job situation, in my marriage, in my, with my future, with this, a decision that I'm, I'm, I'm trying to make, I need to make. I, what does trusting Jesus look like? I, I know this. It may take some work. It may take some help. You may need to, maybe you don't know enough about what's going on or how to be obedient to Jesus. Maybe you need the church to gather around you, a brother or sister in Christ, to help you with that. But God is speaking to you, He is challenging you, He is asking you to respond in faith. That means. Trusting Jesus at least means this, that we practice repentance, that we look out, we look for 
We pursue spiritual things and worship and fellowship in the church and, and we don't take, um, we don't place our hope and trust in our human sufficiency, in our own ability or in our own resources or our own intellect. We trust Jesus even though the way may be troublesome. So, how will you listen to Jesus today? How will you trust Him? How will you deal with your condition? It's, it's serious. It's life-threatening. But we, by God's grace, have a cure for hard hearts. And it's Jesus. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank You for this day and this message and the challenge that it is and has been to me and, and really the comfort and the assurance that it, is, that it is because You did not leave us alone in all of our trouble. God, You, you got into the boat with us. Thank You, Jesus for not leaving us alone to strain at the oars, but to come to give true peace and true hope. You are the God, the great I Am, the only one who can cure our hard hearts. Replace our hearts of, of stone with hearts of flesh, hearts that love You, trust You, that beat for you, that pump life-giving blood of Jesus through our souls. Give us that grace, God. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.